Hey, one more thing before you go. In this episode, we're going to explore what it's like to live in a relationship with a narcissist. It's an emotional domestic violence situation that is unfortunately hidden under the guise of what appears to be normal. We're going to have a conversation with a woman who, in essence, was captive in that relationship for more than 22 years before escaping, healing, and helping others move forward in their life, as she did, reinventing herself along the way. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is That Thing About Escaping a Toxic Relationship. You're going to learn how to recognize narcissistic relationships and what to do about them, what toxic love is, if you've ever heard that term before. Red flags for women and for men to watch for, because it doesn't only happen to women, it happens to men as well. And escaping that toxic relationship and how to move forward in life in a very positive way. So be right, we'll be right back. Denise Kevaleskis is a transformational love coach, speaker, and an international best-selling author. She's a survivor and a thriver of narcissistic abuse. She's the founder of Life After Narcissism, CSW Coaching, a global resource for victims of emotional abuse that offers support and coaching to women who are ready to break ties with narcissistic abuse in past relationships. Denise uses her real-life experience as a way to connect with others and teach love and support them in their healing journey with a mission statement to enhance the lives of survivors of abuse. Through four pillars of healing, empowering women to heal trauma and awaken their true potential, she creates an extraordinary life after narcissism. So, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. I'm so excited to be here and talk to your audience about this topic. Um, thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, it's this particular product, uh, excuse me, this particular subject is uh, kind of touchy in a lot of areas. As you and I had mm -hmm. spoken with prior to this interview, you know, my background in law enforcement uh, dealt a lot with domestic violence, uh, especially it was one of my expertises within that realm. And, you know, people don't understand that domestic violence is not always just physical. It can be emotional or physical or a combination of both. Mm -hmm. So yes. I think we've got an opportunity here to kind of kind of educate some people. But let's start at the beginning. Where'd you grow up? Florida, South Florida, nice and warm. <laughs> um, and I grew up in uh, right outside of Fort Lauderdale and grew up in, you know, mom, dad, we didn't have the traditional, which is kind of normal now, the split family or the blended family. And I have two sisters and got uh, married at an early age. I was 21 when I got married. I think that's young. And um, because I, I, you know, later on, I connected all the dots because I come from a um, emotionally abusive home. I recreated that in my adult relationship with the father of my two children and 
Um, of course, didn't know that at the time. So I got married young, had children young, and <clears throat> lived a life of what I thought was normal, right? Because this is something that I had witnessed my entire life. But things really started to take a turn, Michael, when um, there was drug use involved, which changes everything. And then in um, 2008 was when my children and I had experienced the biggest trauma ever. And that was the uh, attempted suicide of my then husband, who did that with my with our 14 year old daughter in the next room. So that's when things started to put on protection. Yeah. Can you, can I touch back a little bit on um, you? You said you grew up in an environment that actually was kind of uh, uh, abusive emotionally. Correct. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that uh, uh, there's a lot of um, us as in individuals, human beings, we kind of tend to um, emanate, you know, kind of emanate what we grew up with? Absolutely. That, you know, a lot of people who currently suffer within those relationships actually had come from those relationships. Yes. Yes. It's actually scientifically proven that if there's no healing piece involved between the last relationship, whatever that relationship is, including family, to the next relationship, we carry over everything that we learned from the last relationship into the new relationship and including family. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because, you know, I, as I had said to you, my, uh, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. Both my parents were alcoholics at the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I... I chose a different path and became a police officer because of that, which sounds weird, but when people always ask me, why'd you become a cop? Well, I became a cop because I thought I could help and I, could help, I thought mm -hmm. I could help within those type of situations because I could look at it from a, from a, an out, not necessarily an, an inside perspective, but also as an outside perspective. I, I was the middle child, so it allowed me to kind of look at both ends, my older right. sibling and my younger sibling. and me kind of caught in the middle of it. So uh, I can, I understand that. Did you, uh, before you got married, did you have any aspirations to go to college or university? Did you have any, anything like that that you wanted to do? Actually, no. <laughs> I wanted to get married and have kids. That's what I wanted to do. And I think part of that is because later on during my healing journey, I discovered that my dad would always say to me, Denise, you might as well go off and get married and have kids because that's all you're going to amount to. So maybe that's why there was no, you know, itch inside of me to go to college. I really sucked at school, Michael. <laughs> I really sucked at school. Uh, didn't like it at all. I love the social part of it, but um, I, I had really, really bad grades. So that's where my dad that's where that came from, where my dad would say that to me because I come home with C's and D's and F's. And um, so he was just like, well, you might as well go off and get married and have kids because, you know, it looks like school's not your thing. So, no, I had no aspirations of that. Um, just wanted to get married and have kids. Well, that works. I mean, that works, too. It really does. Now, don't feel bad about the C's and the D's. And yeah, I, I found that when I was growing <laughs> up in high school. You know, that was like uh, the norm. <laughs> I mm -hmm. didn't really value my grades until I went to university and went, wait a minute, I'm paying for this. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, I decided to start learning a little bit harder. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, more more uh, in-depth into uh, what my grades were going to be. Mm -hmm. kind of cool. 
So did you, um, I know that you, you got married early. You, you realized that you were in a toxic relationship. So can you help us understand, you mentioned on your website and in some of the things that I've read about you, uh, toxic love. Uh, it, it, during this time period, do you feel that uh, that's what you were drawn into was toxic love? Well, at the time, no. I was very much in love with my then husband and did everything. That's why I stayed in it for 22 years, did everything to try to keep our family together, keep the marriage together. But um, what I was doing was enabling his behavior because that's what narcissists do. Like there's always somebody to enable their behavior, um, which led to bad, you know, worse behavior. He, his behavior got worse over time. So that's the 2008 attempted suicide that I was talking about. Um, yeah, it's, it, it progressed, it progressed, it progressed, it progressed. So that's when I told him I wanted a divorce in 2008. Um, and then guilt got to me because my kids were like, mom, you can't leave dad. Cause they were 14 and 13 at that time. So my guilt had me stay for another two and a half years. And then that's when I left him for the first time with nothing but a futon couch and an air mattress. Um, and I moved three states away to get away from him, to get away from just everything because I, I felt like I couldn't even be in the same state with him because I didn't want to worry about running into him or his family or looking over my shoulder at the grocery store. I wanted to completely be away from him. So that's the first time that I, that I left. You mentioned a word within this, your conversation here, narcissist. You said he was a narcissist. Can you help us understand mm -hmm. what a narcissist is or narcissism is? Sure. So the easiest way for me to describe somebody like that is um, very manipulating and controlling. That's the easiest way to describe these people. So the, this can be anybody. They come in all shapes and sizes. It could be anybody. It could be somebody at Starbucks. It could be a CEO of a company. Um, manipulating and controlling. And basically, they seek out certain people to almost like be their like their slave, right? So also bullies, bully, that's a sign of narcissism when they're when they're constantly trying to overpower somebody. I see it a lot in the workplace, see a lot in relationships, obviously, um, and in families, parents, um, siblings, you know, all over in families. So, so that's the easiest way women. for me. This oh, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Men or women. Yeah. You know, and do you find that uh, within your experience, at least uh, through your life experience, as well as your coaching experience, do you feel that... Um, emotional abuse comes from a lot from people who are narcissists? Yes, that's how they abuse emotionally. So narcissistic abuse is what I call the silent abuse because there's no crime involved. So like domestic violence, there's a crime involved, right? Like the victim can call the police and like you've witnessed um, and say he or she hit me, right? Or they, they injured me. There's a crime involved. But with narcissistic abuse, that it's everything but that it's everything but the physical or the sexual abuse. So it is all of the emotional abuse. And that's where the manipulation and the control comes in 
right? That's where the manipulation mm-hmm. tactics, they're, they're master manipulators. So it's everything but that. And that's why I call it the silent abuse, because with narcissistic abuse, like I couldn't call the cops and say my husband w- was being an asshole to me. Um, he threw all my clothes out on the front lawn. He's kicking me out and I have two babies, you know, so that's why I call it the silent abuse. It's everything but the physical and the and the sexual abuse. Yeah, it, it's really interesting, at least from a law enforcement perspective, because in Colorado, this, where I was a law enforcement officer, I don't know how it is here in Arizona, but in some of the other states, but I know in Colorado specifically, they had uh, evolved and had put uh, emotional abuse as part of the domestic violence statute eventually, which a lot of people, those of us that dealt with it, either from a personal perspective of experiencing it and or one that worked in on a job that dealt with it on a consistent basis, we understood that what it was when we had uh, just to help our listeners understand um the conversation uh we we had individuals that we couldn't understand in in the beginning you'd kind of go why do you keep coming back why do you keep going back to this person why do you Mm -hmm. why are we continuously coming here every week and Mm -hmm. you know it it took a lot of um education it took a lot of empathy compassion understanding mm-hmm. to kind of really get in depth with un- knowing what emotional abuse was knowing the power that they put over somebody the guilt that they put over somebody the you know you mm-hmm. can't live without me and i don't you know the your self esteem gets destroyed to such a point that you don't feel that you can live without them or to move forward yep. from them so you believe it um, mm-hmm. Now, you said you managed to get out of that uh, 22-year uh, your toxic relationship. What steps did you take uh, to kind of help yourself get out of that? Um, or did you, uh, let me back up of it, if you don't mind, please. I just, I think I kind of got ahead of myself. It, did any of your relatives, your friends or your colleagues happen to see this from the outside perspective? Did they see this mm-hmm. going on? Well, not until the 2008 um, event. They They didn't. I mean... They didn't want to see it because we lived in a nice house. Right. My kids went to private school. I drove a nice car. We had a pool home in Florida on a cul-de-sac street. Like everything from the outside looked perfect. And we took vacation several times a year. Like everything looked normal. And especially when people have not healed their own emotional wounds, they won't, they don't see it as like you said, dysfunctional or, or whatever, mm-hmm. they, they see it as, as just, that's just part of the relationship. You just gotta, you know, kiss before you go to bed. Don't, yeah. Don't, don't go to bed angry and leave it at that. Yeah. No matter what the anger was for or what it's about or what the subtext right. of the anger was involved. Yeah. Which really kind of unfortunate, but we're here to help people overcome that. And we're here to discuss mm-hmm. that so that we have a pathway for those of you that are listening who are experiencing it or those of you who are watching are experiencing it or know somebody that is just you know hopefully we can give you some tips and some uh kind of a pathway to success of getting out of that um so when you started realizing that pattern within your particular marriage did you um what, what kind of things did you see what kind of things did you start recognizing like red flags for example that somebody might kind of look at or recognize Are you okay?
So when you first realized uh, the, um, the pattern in your marriage where you saw the emotional abuse and you saw the narcissism and you saw what needed to be done in, for, in order for you uh, to get out of a toxic environment, basically, um, what kind of red flags did you see or did you recognize or have you recognized since then that we might be able to share with everybody? So if they're within the same environment, it gives them the opportunity to kind of recognize. I think... Um, looking back, I remember by the time I was 30, I was like, this isn't working. Like this relationship isn't working. I'm not happy. Um, I'm crying more than I'm laughing. There was a lot of, like you said, dysfunction. So there's a lot of labels you could put to it, but I didn't want to really look at the truth of what was really happening, which was abuse. And it actually, Michael, wasn't until... I was out of the relationship for two years before I really realized it was abuse. I was in an abusive relationship and I was uh, an abused woman. So um, I think that's the biggest clue is that in the relationship, the red flags would be you cry more than you're than you're laughing. Right. There's more uh, bad times and there is good times. You're constantly putting out fires you're um, people pleasing, trying to keep the narcissist happy and nothing's ever good enough. Like that's, that's a huge red flag. No matter how much you try, no matter what you do, it's never good enough for the narcissist. I think that's the biggest flag. Yeah. I think that the, um, a lot of people don't, and then we said this earlier, but in, in reality, sometimes you need to understand what some of the red flags may be that this is not normal and that uh, you may you may think it's normal you may feel that it's normal it may be presented to you that it's normal but in reality there's a dysfunction there that needs to be recognized that this is not normal you need to be happy you need to be able to laugh you need to be able to move forward in your life in, in a positive way you need to you know everybody's got you know especially people living together in, in no matter which form that you're living together you've got arguments. You will have little arguments, but how they're handled um, is what makes the difference. You know, absolutely. It's kind of one of those, one of those things, but yeah, red flags are are important. Um, Yes. And then technically emotional, emotional uh, abuse is domestic violence. It's just a different manner of domestic violence, but it constitutes domestic violence. And if you're within that arena, if you're, you're within that environment uh, or you know somebody that's in a, that environment, mm-hmm. you know, there are steps that you can take to help get yourself out of there. So, Absolutely. Um, what steps did you take to kind of protect yourself? I know you moved like three states away. That Did that help? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was a, that was a, <clears throat> a huge um, leap forward in my healing because for anybody who's listening, I just want you to know that every day that you go no contact, you are healing. Every day that you're out of that situation, <clears throat> you're healing. So, yeah, that, that helped a lot because, like I said, I didn't have to worry. I didn't have to look over my shoulder. I was free. I felt like I was let, uh, let out of prison. I was free from his abuse in the grips of, of that environment. Um and I, and that's what I tell people like block, you know, when, when you're ready to leave, cause there has to be a readiness, 
That's why it took me 22 years. When you're ready to leave to, to block them from, you know, every contact that they, that they've had with you, that's going to help a lot. Um, and focus on you. That's another huge one is to focus on you, to go within. So I didn't realize that I was from an abusive home because when you grow up with it, you think it's normal. You don't realize it. So if I didn't know that, then how would I know that my adult relationship was, was abusive, right? So yeah, dysfunctional. Yeah. You're not happy. Yeah. It's, you know, toxic. There's all these words that you can use, but the real word is abuse. And like you were saying, Michael, it is domestic abuse. It is domestic violence. Um, there's lots of Ted talks on this. And also I write about this, how it's still domestic abuse and that some people don't know that because they're not being hit or sexually assaulted, but it's still domestic abuse. Yeah. 100%. Are there any red flags in like men that young women should be recognized? I have two daughters. Um, you know, and I taught them from my perspective, you know, say, hey, look, from a, but I also was a little biased because I'm a dad, you know, it, my dad shoes on as well as my cop shoes on, you know, it was, hey, watch, watch for this or watch for that. Or, you know, I recognized uh, some things and patterns that started taking place in um, one of my daughter's relationships and I made her aware of it, you know, and at first she was kind of upset about it and then she kind of, well, yeah, I guess you're right, sort of thing. So but can we help other other young women or other young men understand what some red flags they need to be looking for or monitoring. So if they're dating or if they've started a relationship. Absolutely. I love that question um, because this does start at a young age. My ideal clients are, they've, they've been married, they've been divorced. So they're a little bit older, but um, I have a 28 year old daughter who was in this type of relationship for seven years. And it was literally a carbon copy of, what she saw growing up, right? Myself and and her dad. So the things that the red flags that they can look for the young women is basically the same of what I was saying is where you're not happy in this relationship where he's uh, controlling, being controlling. And you know, the thing about it is, Michael, is that the controlling tactics can be so subtle, so subtle. So I was watching um, some kind of crime show because I like I dove into this to really know the psychological part of all of this. And there was this one couple and she put on this dress and the boyfriend says, "Um, I don't uh, that dress. I don't know. I don't like that dress on you. Why don't you wear the one that I got you? The one that I bought you. That one looks a lot better on you. So so a woman might think, oh, that's so sweet. He wants me to wear his dress or he even bought me a dress. Right. But what's really happening, like the underlayers of that is that he didn't like your decision and what you chose. He wanted it to be his decision and what he chose controlling. So that's how subtle it could be. So there's a lot of red flags. But the biggest ones that I would say to the young women is that, first of all, these 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 people, because it could be men or women, these people don't show up with a sign that says, I'm a big asshole, date me. I'm going to treat you like crap, date me. They show up very charming and charismatic. So you have to really like know what you're dealing with. And when you start to see the signs, 
to listen to yourself, to listen to your gut, to listen to your intuition or your dad, <laughs> that <clears throat> this is not the right person for me. This relationship isn't, isn't healthy. This relationship isn't healthy for me. So one, one question that I like to give as a tool for women to use or men is it's a fill in the blank. So if I truly and deeply love myself, would I, and then they fill in the blank. So for me, if I truly and deeply loved myself, would I have endured 22 years of that relationship? And then that's going to help them when they fill in the blank, that's going to help them to get a nudge and a clue of what's happening, what's really happening on the deeper levels. And that's really important. I think that um, when we give the opportunity to stop and empower ourselves, to take a positive action, to change our environment, um, that's, I, think the, I think that's a, a very positive step in healing, right? Absolutely. Yes. And that's why I love to give these tools because I always share, like if you take, if you simply take these tools that I give and use them every single day, your life will transform. If somebody finds themselves within a situation, what would you recommend their first step in healing would be? And removing themselves from that environment or taking the yes. steps to prepare for, do you recommend, and I realize, you know, obviously we are, we are not doctors. We're not lawyers. We're not, you know, our, our experience comes from personal experience as well as professional experience. Mm -hmm. um, but what would you recommend? Do you think that they need to prepare to make that step to leave? They don't just up and leave with nowhere to go. Do they, should they have some place in mind? Should they ask for help? Well, it really depends on the situation. So if we're talking about emotional abuse and there's no physical abuse involved, then I would say I've, ha I've had women who come who have come to me for um, services, assistance in helping them leave safely and leave, you know, getting what they asked for in the divorce. Um, I think it's imperative to have emotional support when they're going through this because the manipulation and the control only gets worse when that person decides to leave. So, yes, get emotional support, whether that be counselor, therapist, coach, mentor, whatever, somebody who's walked that walk and is on the other side of that. If it is somebody who's in a domestic violence and they're being <clears throat> hurt physically every single day, that's a tough one. So to leave safely, um, like I said, it would depend on the situation. Uh, they would have to create a very strategic plan. It's totally doable. They can do it a strategic plan. And what I teach women is how to master manipulation more than the master manipulator. And maybe some people don't like that word manipulation, but manipulation is oftentimes used as good. So you can outsmart the narcissist because narcissistic people, abusive people, their, their behavior is very predictable. Very predictable. So there is a way for them in even in a domestic violence um, status, they can leave safely, get out and um, recreate their life over again. Well, and, and I, from a law enforcement perspective, I would recommend that, you know, we mentioned the physical abuse as well. You know, obviously, you need to make that phone call and um, take the opportunity to 
remove yourself from that situation, uh, especially if it's violent. Um, but, yeah. uh, and I say, especially if it's violent, because it does not take away from anything being emotional as well, as we said earlier, but a mm -hmm. physical abuse or sexual abuse uh, can escalate mm -hmm. to such a point that it endangers you or those around you, your children or whatever right. at such a point. So yeah, find your, find the way, make the phone call, try to get out of that situation as soon as possible. Even mm -hmm. if you have to ask somebody, a friend or a relative to say, Hey, mm -hmm. can I stay with you? Can you help me get this? accomplished and remove myself. Yeah. And, and for, for the abuser and their behavior, it, you know, here's my diagnosis. I'm not a doctor or therapist or anything, but here's what I've seen. There's different levels of narcissism. That's a fact. Then for me, when somebody is physically abusing somebody that's sociopathic and either in even psychopathic behavior, because as we know, and you know, being a cop and knowing the, the domestic violence, a lot of these relationships end up with, with death. Yes. And when they hurt somebody to the point of no life, that's psychopathic behavior, right? Not just narcissism. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, it's interesting, I, again, as a father uh, raising two daughters, uh, obviously I was very overprotective and, you know, it, it, some, I have to smile because sometimes I went, <laughs> my oldest daughter on her first date, see all the, all my colleagues knew that she was going on her first date. So here's this poor young man that was driving away in the nice pickup truck. And, you know, we walked her to the door and to have a good time and so forth. And then every cop car that uh, went behind them or beside them, they were nervous the whole <laughs> time they were away and it's like you got to have her back by you know 10 o'clock 10 30 i think it was and you know he had her back at 9 30 so i just want to make sure <laughs> i just want to make sure and it's like okay <laughs> and i didn't say anything it was just the fact that he knew i was a cop and then so i said you know just you never know and uh yeah, every time he looked at a cop car he thought it was somebody that was they're watching my, um, him and my daughter. It was, mm -hmm. she never forgave me for that. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, come on, I didn't do all that. I, it just happened to be there and they just happened to be right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> it can you know, happen. It can happen, exactly. So what got you interested in being a co I know that you left. Um, it, it, w did you have a career when you left or did you start one when you left prior to becoming a coach? I was actually running his business in Florida and um, air conditioning and appliances. And that's actually what gave me the confidence to start my own business because I was running his business successfully. It was it was really doing great. Um, we were about to expand to the other side of Florida, the West Coast of Florida. And um, I did everything on the back end of the business. So the marketing, um, obviously taking care of the customers, uh, dispatching the calls, you know, all that, that entails that business on the back end. And he w went and did like the physical, ran the calls, uh, fixed the appliances, uh, air conditioning. So it was through that experience when I came here to North Carolina, I was like, well, I had to get a job. 
So I went back to what I went to school for, which was medical. So I did medical sales here in North Carolina. And it was through that experience that I was like, I really want to have my own business. And I didn't know what that was. I knew only a few things. One, I wanted it to be online. I wanted the freedom to have an online business. Mm-hmm. You know, I visualized myself like on the computer poolside, you know, clients are coming in, I'm coaching or whatever I was doing because I didn't know it at the time. So that led to me finding my first business coach, hiring my first business coach, and then being shown how to um, create an online audience. So at that time, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. I thought, okay, I guess I'm a divorce coach. I don't know. (laughs) I hadn't gone through my healing journey either. So that was really important too. So when I did, because my my business coach was like, you know, get them on the phone and get them into, you know, a program. And I'm like, what program? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And what tools could I give them? Like I had no tools because I hadn't gone through my own healing journey. So and that energy conveyed through through the phone line when I was on the phone with the women. So obviously I didn't get a client that year. Um, I had to go through my own healing journey and discover mm-hmm. like there's some stuff that I need to learn about myself in order for me to help these women. Like I have no nothing to help them with. So that led to me doing that. And then that's when I started getting clients because I had something to give to them. And then I discovered through. Um, I started writing chapters and books and I wrote uh, a chapter in a book. The book's called um, A New Day Dawns, Breaking Up with Abuse. And it was in that chapter that I wrote that it dawned on me, literally, Denise, you're supposed to talk about narcissistic abuse. That's your like thing. You're, that's what you're supposed that, to talk about. That's a niche. Right. My niche. Right. So ever since then, that's what I focus on. I focus on the narcissistic abuse. That's why I call it the silent abuse. And that's how I, I was able to go into more healing of myself to really recognize like all the signs, all the, you know, looking back at my relationship and everything to be able to, you know, verbalize that out into the world um, in messages and emails so that it's relatable. And then women, you know, come to me and ask for assistance or help or even doing this, an interview to help them. Well, you know, it, it's, I think life experience, I, every coach I've ever talked to, the majority of it, I, I would say the majority because there has been a few that went into coaching just because they thought they'd make a lot of money at it and they really didn't have life experience in order to do what they were trying to coach. They just said, I'm gonna be a coach and this is what I wanna do because it makes a lot of money. Right. Um, I have found that people who are invested in it from a personal perspective make a better coach anyway, because yes. we can empathize and we can, you know, not just understand, but empathize. We've been there. We've There's a that. passion there. Yeah, mm-hmm. even though we've done that, we yeah. know how you feel, not just because we understand it, because we've experienced it. And that, uh, that in itself is right. my education. You know, my yeah. childhood is my education, my you know, my, uh, my 22 years in a toxic marriage is my education. And I, right. kind of, you know, they know me. so that's pretty, that's outstanding that you were able to take that opportunity and kind of move it forward. I know that you have a blog that you write. Do you write on that uh, a lot? Do you think blogging or journaling helped you? 
Oh yes. And that's something that I share with my clients. And, and even when I do interviews is that, um, to write, to, to literally put pen to paper. So no typing in the computer or on the phone, it's very, very therapeutic to put pen to paper and write out, um, your feelings or even what you want to create, what you want to manifest. Um, that's how I manifested my husband. Now, when I came here in 2013, no, no, no. When I came here the second time in 2012, I wrote a letter, um, to the universe, to God. And I said, this is, this is what I want. And, and I described him, I described, I wanted to make sure he had a good relationship with his mom. Cause that was really important because the past showed me a lot about a son, um, a mother relationship. And so I wrote all these things down and I folded up the, the, it was two pieces of paper. I folded them up and I put them under my mattress and I just, I left it there. And, um, so that was 2012 or 2013. I didn't put the date, but I met my husband in 2013. So, um, yes, I tell people to write, 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 uh, write out your feelings, write out what you want to create. And then there's certain things that I have my clients do with writing that helps release whatever it is that needs to be um, peeled, shed or healed out of their body so that they're release taking it out of their mind and out of their body and letting it go. And we do, you know, burning letter rituals and things like that to help them completely release it out of their body. Yeah, ma- manifestation is a really good thing. I believe in manifestation 100%. Oh, yeah. I think that's a positive thing. It's so, fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, manifestation is good. And as well as uh, the letter writing, the letter burning. You know, in, in this particular podcast, those of you that do listen and those uh, that are new, um, I've got some episodes in here where we actually use letter writing to communicate what we didn't get to say before losing somebody that we loved and yeah, writing that letter cool. out to them and then going through that ritual of burning it and letting the ashes go up so it goes to them. So, yeah, yeah. I recommend it. I'm glad you did that. That's a really positive. Yeah, thing. it glad, is. Glad you did that. Um, are there any uh, any steps or any anything that uh, you feel that might uh, benefit our viewers, our listeners, in regard to um, helping them to um, get out of this situation? Should they? Is there a step plan, like... Step one, I have to do this. Step two, I have to do that. Step three, I have to do that. Yeah, so um, I can share my experience of how I did it. And that was, I set a date. That's one of the one of the things, right? So what happened was, is the end of December 2010, my daughter came to me and said, Mom, I don't want to go to college in Florida. And I was like, okay, where do you want to go? It's weird. Um, And she was like, I want to go to North Carolina. And I was like, okay, great. Well, this is not working out. This is a train wreck here. So (laughs) I was like, we'll move. Great. This was the perfect opportunity. So what I did from then was I created a five month plan. So my daughter was graduating in May of the, the following year, 2011. And so that gave me plenty of time to, um, plan out, and a strategic plan on how to leave. So I set an amount that I needed for money. Cause you know, when you move, especially out of state, you need money. Um, which for me was $10,000. And that's what I manifested because I was working for his business and any money that I could get my hands on was funneled through him. So I didn't have a job and I didn't have 
an inheritance that I could tap into. So I had to create everything myself. So five months I felt like was a good amount of time. So I manifested the $10,000 and um, booked the Penske truck, right? I planned it. So this is what I would say to women is like, plan it out. You also have to be an actress and act like everything's okay, right? While you're in this plan, um, you know, same behavior as before. You don't want to, you know, set anything off um, so that he finds out about your plan um, and and plan it out. Where are you going to go? Book the Penske truck or the budget truck, whatever. Um, where, you know, where are you going to live? So I literally was on like back then Craigslist looking for apartments where I was going to live um, found a place or a few places that I was going to look. And Michael, I had the $10,000 to leave. <clears throat> I was there four days and had an apartment. And in four weeks I had a job. Like I was on fire. I manifested everything that I desired. I left safely. I left with even my, my then husband and I, you know, being civil to each other, communicating, right. He helped put um, our daughter's car on the back of the car carrier. He knew I was going to North Carolina. So that's what I would say. I would say, create a plan. And the plan involves first a date, set a date. This is also the energy that you're putting out to the universe. You're giving the universe, okay, the details of what you're going to do. Because the universe always wants you to be safe and happy. So when you can put this plan in place, then the universe is going to say yes to it and have that for you. So that's what I would say for anybody. First steps to leaving. Those are great steps to first steps of leaving there. But I think, I think um, if I may interject, I think maybe a very good first step is to make the decision to make yes. that plan. Um, I right. think that that would help. That way you know that what you're going to do, what kind of direction that you're going to move forward with uh, and, and then uh, set the plan in motion. That's a really good opportunity for somebody to get in a very more, a very more, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> a much better position to stay positive in life. And manifestation works. Right. Everybody should try this. Yes. Manifestation is a very positive thing. Let's talk a little bit about how to get a hold of you for your coaching business and things like that. I know that you've got a website that you're, uh, that, that you're working on, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. True love after toxic love. That's my whole like message to women is that you can have true love after toxic love. I know because I did it for myself 22 years in that toxic relationship and now married to the man of my dreams, which that's the picture right there. And that you can create anything that you want in life. You can write the ending to your story. So true love after toxic love. Yes. Everything's being rebranded since I got married because everything was you know, website and everything was, um, with my divorce last name. Um, and I have a Facebook group called life after narcissism. And the Facebook group is where I do uh, training videos and answer questions and do daily posts, inspirational posts, empowering posts for women and men. There's both in there, um, to, to lift their spirits up and to know like they can literally create a life of their dreams. So that's life after narcissism on Facebook. That's outstanding. And you uh, obviously, like you said, you found the man of your dreams. So 
That's a very positive thing. You guys are having a wonderful, happy life. You got a smile on your face. I, I don't see, yes. you know, I can, those of you who are just listening to the podcast don't, can't see this, either look at and watch the video or take my word for it. You glow, you, um, you're happy, you get a nice smile and, you know, you exude uh, happiness, which yeah. is, you know, you can see it. Yes. And that's also what I share, Michael, that you can have a completely healthy relationship even if you've had nothing but cycles of abusive relationships in the past. And I'm living proof. My clients are living proof. Like it is 100% possible for anybody. Yep. 100%. I believe that. Um, this is one more thing before you go. So do you have any words of wisdom that you'd like to share before we go? Mm, okay. So my quote just came up when you asked that. So my quote is, um, I didn't know what, the future held, but I knew this, it was better than the past. And that was the energy that I went into coming to North Carolina. That was my thought process. I didn't know what was ahead of me, but I knew it was going to be better than the past. And that's some inspiration for your listeners. Like their future is super bright if that's what they choose. Those are excellent words of wisdom. I really appreciate that. Thank Denise, you. thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you sharing your experience, your journey, your wisdom, and your opportunity for those uh, that are going through this path and this journey within themselves to move forward in a very positive way. So thank you for joining me here. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for what you're doing and spreading this message. Absolutely. And I'll have all the links for everybody in the show notes so that they can uh, contact you and find you and kind of join your Facebook group and in the kind of move their life forward. Sweet. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much for joining us on this conversation. I really appreciate you. Don't forget, you can find our app. Uh, one more thing before you go podcast in the App Store or on Google Play. We can download our free app completely free. Um, you can get a hold of it. It's a unique access to everything. One more thing before you go. It was developed and provided by Superpass, our sponsor. If you love us as much as we do, yes, I say that with uh, generosity, please support us. We have merchandise available. Unique to one more thing before you go, inspiring and motivational. Tell somebody about us. We're going to have an exciting year coming up ahead. Please subscribe and follow us on any one of your favorite platforms here on YouTube or any one of the other ones, Apple, um, Spotify, Amazon, you name it. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go, have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.